Hello, everyone. This is Kevin Ann at Eagle Strong Voice. It's October 22nd. You're listening to Here We Stand, the voice of the Republic and the Resistance. Well, before we begin today, I want to read to you a very important urgent action notice that came out of our West Coast Common Law Court of Justice this last week. In the course of its investigations, it discovered the following, and here's the notice, child trafficking orgy to occur at the Vancouver Club this Saturday, October 28th. The Vancouver Club at 915 West Hastings Street in Vancouver, Canada, is a documented location of child trafficking, rape, and torture. Its exclusive membership includes several of the defendants named in the two cases now before the West Coast Common Law Court of Justice. You can read more of that in murderbydecree.com under ITCCS updates for September 25th. Well, this past week, sources within the club have informed our court that a child-swapping ritual sex and torture ceremony will occur at the Vancouver Club during the evening and at midnight this Saturday, October 28th, which is a full moon. And the ceremony will occur during its so-called Horror of Venice Carnival Halloween event. The general public is urged and authorized to protest of the, the Vancouver Club that evening and prevent harm being done to children. Our court prosecutor has dispatched operatives to infiltrate the club's October 28th event in order to monitor and film its activities and, if necessary, perform citizen arrests against suspected individuals. More updates will follow soon, including a general update from the court prosecutor on other new evidence that's been acquired this past week. Act now to save the lives of children. Well, that notice went out all over the world, and especially in Vancouver, where the court and its supporters will be mobilizing that evening internally and externally, inside and outside the Vancouver Club. We hope to see all of you there. Now, today on the show, we're going to be going into more background evidence that you need to know to look into the two cases that are now before the court. The murder of Native activists Harriet Nahani, William Coombs, and Johnny Bingo Dawson, and the criminal conspiracy and assault against Kevin Annett and other leaders of the movement to expose genocide in Canada. Well, here are some of the updates of the court before we get to that uh, to the show today. The court formally convened on Monday, October 16th, this past Monday, in the city of Vancouver, after issuing a public indictment and summons against 42 persons. Of those persons summoned to appear, only three of those defendants have replied to the court. But neither these three nor any of the other defendants have denied, challenged, or contested the charges and accusations we have publicly made against them. Accordingly, the court is considering a motion by the prosecutor to issue an immediate pro-confesso guilty verdict against all the defendants. The court will announce its decision in this matter by Friday, October 27th. Now, to remind you, those 42 persons include so-called Pope Francis Jorge Bergoglio, former Prime Minister of Canada Jean Chrétien, present so-called monarch of England Charles Mountbatten-Windsor, and a host of local church and government and police officials. Some of the new evidence acquired by the prosecution over the last number of weeks include the following. First of all, Evidence of indigenous organ trafficking connected to the murder of both Harriet Nahani and William Coombs. The similar manner of the rapid arrest and sudden death in custody of Harriet Nahani and William Coombs prompted a closer investigation into what killed them. On the basis of that investigation, the following facts have been established. First of all, like William Coombs, Harriet Nahani died in St. Paul's Catholic Hospital in Vancouver and not at her home, as has been claimed by police and hospital officials. Just prior to their deaths, both Nahaney and Coombs were held in isolation at St. Paul's acute care ward and were denied all contact with the outside world, denied all visitors and others. Under the direct orders of Dr. Elliot Weiss, an official of the hospital and of the notorious Providence Healthcare, which routinely gathers up homeless people and native people, takes them into the hospital for experimentation and drug testing, and those people die or are never heard of again. The same Dr. Elliot Weiss is a personal friend and associate of B.C. Supreme Court Judge Brenda Brown, who sentenced Harriet Nahani to prison and to her death. Thirdly, Judge Brenda Brown ordered an indefinite publication ban on the coroner's reports regarding the deaths of both Harriet Nahani and William Coombs. Judge Brown suppressed evidence that both of them had had their organs removed after dying at St. Paul's Hospital. 
She also suppressed evidence of more general genocidal crimes in Indian residential schools that both Harriet and William had been naming publicly, including organ trafficking of indigenous children in BC and Alberta. And finally, Judge Brown banned lawyers from raising these criminal matters in court, as well as sabotaging their legal practices. And fourthly, a former officer of RCMP E-Division in Vancouver states that since the spring of 1998, when our first public actions began about these crimes, Indigenous women have been found murdered in Vancouver's downtown east side, and it was discovered that they had organs missing. The same was the case for Native women and others who died while confined in St. Paul's Catholic Hospital. Their organs were missing, but medical examination reports and police reports have been routinely censored, and police investigations into their deaths consistently suppressed by provincial attorneys general and several senior BC Supreme Court judges, according to the RCMP officer. Now, this evidence is some of the things that are now before the court, and are being adjudicated. The refusal of the defendants in these cases to answer the charges means that under law, they can be immediately found guilty by an uncontested, what's called pro-confesso statement of uncontested guilt, and can be arrested. Depending on the verdict and sentence of the court, that means the public can be actively involved in detaining these individuals, seizing their property and assets, including all of the property of the Catholic, Anglican, and United Churches anywhere in Canada. Well, today on Here We Stand, we'll be going, like I mentioned, into more background about this case, and especially two primary defendants, two United Church ministers on Vancouver Island named Phil Spencer and Foster Freed, who are instrumental in not only the suppression of this evidence of genocide, but the, they are complicit in the deaths of six individuals, three in my former Port Alberni congregation, and the, men, the people we've mentioned, Harriet Nahani, William Coombs, and Johnny Bingo Dawson. Both Phil Spencer and Foster Freed are already convicted felons. They're standing arrest warrants against him because they were convicted in the original common law trial in 2013 that found Canada, the Vatican, the Crown of England, and its churches guilty of crimes against humanity. These two individuals are also members of what's called the 12 Mile Club, which is a child trafficking agency connected to the Vancouver Club, which operates all up and down the coast and has for over 50 years. So along with the the Roman Catholic Church, the United Church is operating still as a primary agency of West Coast genocide and has since its inception when it was created by an act of parliament in 1925. So we're going to go into more of that today, how it's affected me personally. And I'm delighted to have on this show, uh, which was recorded recently, my father, William Annett, and Katie Stokewell, who was one of the Huron elders who read the banishment proclamation against these genocidal churches on June 12th of this year. You can follow all of the, our work, murderbydecree.com, under ITCCS updates, write also to republicofcanada.org, and to us at angelfire101 at protonmail.com. Here's the show. Stand by for more. And welcome. I am your host, Kevin Annett, Eagle Strong Voice. This is Here We Stand. Well, evil has a name and an address, and its inhabitants don't want you knocking on their door. Today on Here We Stand, we'll be doing precisely that. And the door we'll be knocking on is that of the United Church of Canada, and particularly two of its officials who have been convicted of aiding and abetting crimes against children on Canada's west coast. These officials are Vancouver Island clergyman Foster Freed and Phil Spencer, who this past week issued the threat of a lawsuit against yours truly and the ITCCS after other people had named them publicly for their role in the death of Aboriginal children and the concealment of those deaths. What do you say? Crimes of genocide and child murder in that nice, liberal, progressive, and oh-so-politically-correct United Church of Canada? Well, don't forget, folks, the worst criminal in town always garbs himself in piety and light. And so today on Here We Stand, we'll be looking at not just this latest attack by convicted criminals, but the sickness of dissociated doublethink that makes official Canadian society a breeding ground with not only gross hypocrisy, but unrelenting group crime. I'm very happy today to be joined by my father, Bill Annett, another incorrigible troublemaker and muckraker, and my equally ass-kicking co-host, Katie Stokwa of the Huron-Algonquin Indigenous Nation. But I want to extend... 
Before we start, I want to extend a particular welcome to the legal firm of Durpak, White & Spencer of Vancouver, and especially their lawyer, Louis Spencer, who threatened me in writing this past week on behalf of his felonious clients, Freed & Spencer. I understand Lou and his cronies are listening into the show today. So, Lou, feel free to quote me. I stand by everything you'll hear today. It's all based on hard evidence and eyewitness testimonies, including what you'll find at MurderByDecree.com. And I also want to state for the record that last Friday, I filed a special dossier and memorandum of evidence with the Prosecutor's Office of the International Common Law Court of Justice concerning the evidence against Freed and Spencer you'll hear today. As I've said to Lewis Spencer and his law firm in writing, I welcome the opportunity to publicly address the complicity of his clients and their employer, the United Church of Canada, in the planned genocide, trafficking, and murder of Aboriginal children and their cover-up of that crime, all of which has been thoroughly documented, proven, and even acknowledged in the media and the courts since June of 1998. And so, on with the show. But before I forget, and for the benefit of all of you lawyers listening to today, here's a joke. Ahem, what's the difference between a catfish and a lawyer? One's a scum-sucking bottom feeder, the other's a fish. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, let me one. welcome yeah, let me welcome my father, Bill Annett, and Katie Stukra. Hi, Dad. Hi, Katie. Hey. Hello. Hi, Kevin. I uh, I used to tell jokes in sermons, so I thought, why the hell not over the air, you know? So, <laughs> usually, anyway. Usually, go ahead. usually your jokes go over my head. That was a good one. Yeah, well, <laughs> it fits. <laughs> Katie, why don't I ask you to jump off? I know you're probably itching to ask me a few things or <laughs> say a few things, and I'll get to Dad. I, I, I do. I, I want to share a story, a quick story. So um, when the communique came out um, from my TCCS, I went, what? So who are these characters? And uh, the, one of the first things I did was I did a Google search on Spencer and Freed. I put in Freed first and, and <clears throat> found the website uh, that of his church. And uh, embedded in the site was uh, um, various sermons, you know, weekly sermons that he had, he had been given. And, uh, and I, and I, um, started listening to one of them anyway, and, and the sermon was on agape, love, and eros. <laughs> and uh, and I'm just, I kind of was frozen in my tracks because I'm, I'm sitting there and I'm, I, I, I know about the institution that they're part of, right? Mm-hmm. Crimes Against Humanity. And, and here's this guy standing there at the pulpit giving this sermon to his sheeple and like I thought wow he's he really is he's convincing he's a great actor but I I was just so dumbfounded by by the well the the double think right yeah it was exactly. just incredible yeah and I know it's it's funny because I I knew these guys uh they, you know, it's part of the, the proving you have the right stuff in a corporation is can you stick a good friend in the back with a knife? Can you have a higher loyalty than just a human loyalty? Uh, prove to the corporation you can act, kill at their behest, and then you elevate. Uh, Phil and Foster were friends of mine at seminary. Foster Freed and and uh, his eldest daughter Rachel and my daughter Claire uh, hung out together. We we went to each other's birthday oh. parties. We shared sermons. And then he's the guy who oh, wow. leads this attack on me. And um, I know he's he, he was trained as an actor, and he's an amazing bullshit artist. And we used to joke about that in, in seminary. He got rewarded wow. after after sticking the knife into me. Uh, he became president of BC Conference in the United Church, and Phil became um, head of pastoral relations, which is kind of funny. Um, but anyway, no, it's how it operates. It's, it's just all BS mm. at every level. But, you know, they don't know that mm. in the pews, unfortunately, until they experience it, I guess. Mm. So one of the things that yeah. I am... Joe, let Jed jump in and then carry on, Katie. Yeah, yeah, you go ahead. Go ahead, Dad. Uh, I, was, uh, I was alarmed when I heard about this Durpak business because I realized uh, uh, Kevin can't uh, hire a lawyer because no lawyer in Canada will touch him with a 10-foot pole because mm-hmm. they're all officers of the Crown. And, yeah. And... Uh, Owe their allegiance to to Liz, you know, who uh, 
not above proselytizing kiddies herself. But um, I, I, I finally came to the conclusion that Kevin and I will do okay in court. Um, I'll be there because uh, we both had a shot at, at law school uh, <laughs> and we both quit. Um, Kevin, because he didn't like the people that were in the faculty, and, and me, because I did a, 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 a switch into corporate finance, because I realized that even in 1951, uh, Wall Street was less larcenous than the legal fraternity. <laughs> well, that I, I do want you to, I know you've got recollections, and yeah, I also, Dad, you wrote a book recently called Watershed. It's a, a fictionalized account of, of true things. Um, it, it, people can get it on Amazon. It, yet another Annette book on Amazon. Just stick uh, William Anna's name in. But you know, maybe you could uh, throughout the show you could bring in those kind of recollections. I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about the book and what prompted it and your own experience of some of the stuff. But you know, feel free. Well, uh, first of all, it's well on its way to. Uh, bestseller, uh, <laughs> New York Times uh, <clears throat> bestseller list, uh, because uh, I've given, so far it's been out for a couple of months, and I've given away 20 copies uh, to my friends and neighbors, and uh, it's uh, the last time I checked with CreateSpace, I think it sold two copies. <laughs> oh, well. Give That's, it time, you know, Bill. Give it time. Yeah, it's kind of like our work. It just are persistent, you know. But, um, Katie, I know that uh, one thing, before we get back to, to that, Dad, and I do want you to talk a little bit about the book, but uh, because it does definitely relate to a lot of this stuff. Um, I know you had a, a couple of other yeah. questions. Yep. Yeah. So, so after I looked up um, these two characters on the Internet, the other thing that uh, I wondered about was why is this happening? I mean, right. um, th there, it was such an, an overreaction, over-the-top reaction when when uh, when this came out, and yet yep. when these guys were convicted at the ICLCJ court, um, we didn't hear anything. And so yep. why why do you think, Kevin, that this is happening? Well, I give a bit of a background. First of all, what what I received. Um, went to my old Nanaimo address. It was a cease and desist letter signed by this guy. Um, oh, what's his name? You know, who works for the law firm, uh, Lewis Spencer. And it basically said I had to cease and desist talking about anything related to his clients or he could face a legal action. And um, now I've gotten cease and desist letters from the United Church before. I just ignore them. Sure I got is. one once and I talked about it on the air at Co-op Radio in 2008 and nothing happened. So, I mean, it's just a way to try to get people to shut up. So I, you know, just ignore these things on principle because it's it's not libelous or defamatory if you're telling the truth, the truth that can be proven. But why it's happening now, I think it's definitely related to bigger events. Now, don't forget in June 20. Uh, June 21st, there was an attempted, nearly successful arrest of, uh, of Pope Francis in Geneva. Yes. As folks remember, the common law sheriffs there, they tried it again in Ireland. Spencer and Freed are on the list of what I call the Dirty 30. They were the original 30 defendants, including Stephen Harper, Queen Elizabeth, uh, mm -hmm. Pope Benedict. The original uh, defendants who were found all guilty of crimes against humanity or, or concealing those crimes and sends in absentia to life imprisonment, and there's been standing arrest warrants against all of them since February yeah. 2013. Obviously, these guys are worried that, well, we've tried it against the Pope. Why wouldn't we try it against two lower-level minions like Spencer and Freed? That, but there's also the fact that in, we know that in the new year, and the scuttlebutt is already out about this, there's a, a West Coast uh, common law court convening that's going to be looking into things, including the 12 Mile Club which we mm -hmm. can get into today to talk about the connection. There's kind of a dossier. As I mentioned, I've filed a dossier of evidence with the Coleman mm -hmm. Court uh, relating to these specific charges, and I, I hope we can get into that and talk a little bit about that, those charges. Um, so, so since, you know, that we know the primary motive of evil is disguise, and it's just like I had said in my opening about this guy is a really great actor. You know, one of one of the places that we also know uh, evil people most often are found 
are within churches mm-hmm. because evil people tend to, you know, gravitate towards piety for their disguise. It's like they're here; they are right, in, living yep. in plain uh, in in plain sight, and you know, the mask is no longer slipping; it's literally has been ripped off. Yeah. And uh, so, why, why, and how is it that you think that these crimes continue? Uh, to occur in Canada and in the in the United Church. Well, uh, also, I want to invite Dad. Dad, if you feel like responding to any of this, feel free to jump in at any yeah, point. Yeah, jump in. Um, I don't know if you had any thoughts about what Okay, you two are doing fine. All right, okay. <laughs> but feel free to break in at any point. Um, why is carrying on? I mean, we've talked about this a lot. I mean, when it's it's the serial killer appointing the jury, what do you think the verdict's going to be? It's 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 the crime is so institutionalized at every level of society, um, and yet it goes along with this thing we call double think, which is you can sit in the pews, you can think you're part of a nice church, and it does you know locally people all they see is their own good works, the food bank, and they're helping people, but they don't see the bigger picture of what they're part of, and they can hold two contradictory ideas in the same yeah. space. That is, we're good people, and yet somehow fifty thousand children died at our hands. Well, yeah. that's that's a complete contradiction, but it doesn't keep them awake at night because they're dissociated. That, you know, in psychology, you know, as a counselor, a state of dissociation is when you're completely detached from your own reality and you don't really understand your own circumstance. And that's can very I, much uh, descriptive. Uh, Go ahead, can Dad. I make a comment about double think? Yeah. Uh, I have an experience of my own just recently that looks to me, feels to me like, uh, I don't know, an analogy for double think. So um, here it is. I, I'm sitting in my recliner watching a political commentary and, and panel discussion about oh, nine o'clock one morning. And I fall asleep. And I have a dream. This happened a couple of days ago. In the dream, I'm sitting in a room where a group of faceless people are having that same political discussion uh, that I'm watching on television, or was. So I try to participate, but I can't speak. This is in my dream. Uh And not only that, but I'm paralyzed physically, and I'm unable to get out of my chair. Wow. I try to ask the people in the dream to help me, But, of course, they ignore me because they don't hear me, and I panic, and I wake up. Wow. And when I wake up, I'm sitting in my recliner, of course, and the panel is still having their discussion just as what was happening in the dream. Well, isn't that an exact description of what goes on? People are frozen and incapable of (laughs) doing anything. Let me just conclude here. Yeah, yeah, sorry. I conclude that I have been in real time along with the television discussion going on, which is why I can't participate in the dream, Mm -hmm. and I'm paralyzed in the dream because I'm unconscious. In other words, I'm in real time, and I can't participate in something that's where I'm unconscious. Yeah, amazing. Um, So to relate this to doublethink, such a person, and just as an aside, Um, Kevin had an an aunt, and I had a sister-in-law who was this sort of person, raised in the United Church, and whenever Kevin came to Edmonton, where she lived, she'd welcome him and go to his lecture and blah, 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 and then bright and early next Sunday morning, she'd be off to the United Church of Canada. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now, such a person... um, it's it's sort of a double think. Uh, I, I call it they're paralyzed because of the strength of their contrary belief in the system. Yeah. And so they they have to view the fact as a dream, however real. <laughs> That's amazing. Well, well, well Katie, I want your so, go ahead. People are so indoctrinated, and and it's even. It even goes beyond really, co- I mean, cognitive dissonance. I think that um, people, once you know the truth about something, like when I attended uh, church and I found certain things out, like the Crimson document, like I, I do have a choice to turn, turn away 
or keep attending. But once I make the choice of, well, I'm not going to participate in, in, mm -hmm. in this institution any longer, I, I, had to, I had to make that choice. You're either with God or you're against God. You've got to pick a side. There's no fence sitting. There's no in-between. And, um, uh, you know, so, so I, I left, right? Um, but people, but in leaving also, I, I also had to, uh, I also had to take responsibility, um, period. And, and, and so in making that choice, there's all this responsibility that comes with it. I got to wake myself up. I got to learn the truth. And I think that a lot of people, aren't willing to do that. That's right. why they, they turn away is, is they, they, they don't want to change. Right. Now, let me just uh, say, I, I just got an email from someone saying, tell us about the charges. I'm curious. Yeah. <laughs> okay. 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 So I have a question. Yeah. I yeah. have a question. Yeah. Um, uh, in this, the, in the dossier, um, what is lift? You mentioned there's the mention of lift in the, in the document what is that okay that that's part of um one of the charges against freed and spencer is that they were complicit in the murder of three people the death of krista lynn mark angus and john Sargent. now let me give a bit of an explanation these were three people in my congregation in port alberni and i say earlier in the dossier that early on spencer and freed were, were were delegated by the Presbytery to keep an eye on me. They had a secret oversight committee that nobody else in the Presbytery knew about. Presbytery is the gathering that it's it's one the body that hires and fires United Church ministers. It's their immediate boss, and they have oversight over ministers. But it's supposed you're, it's they're supposed to be accountable to the entire Presbytery, what they call the court. And yet this was a special oversight committee chosen by two guys, Art Anderson and Bill Howie. Now these guys are, as it turned out, are members of this Twelve Mile Club. 12 Mile Club is a, a child trafficking network called the 12 Mile Club because outside the 12 mile territorial limit of Canada, they can dump mm -hmm. bodies. It's that simple. That's how they get rid of children. And these two guys. Because they're in Freed, international waters? That's right. Is that, now, the, is that these why? two guys put Freed and Spencer on my case early on. They were monitoring my congregation and they were flagging anybody who was speaking about residential schools or ongoing crimes. Now, that's how these three folks died. Krista Lynn was a uh, homeless Native woman. She responded to my invitation to come into the church, and she actually got up and, um, you know, signed her own death warrant because she named, let, let me just read out what's in the dossier. Um, okay. Uh, just going down here. They, um, she named the names of child rapists among the local Aboriginal chiefs at a forum-sponsored in September 1994 by Lyft. Now, Lyft was a group I helped set up as soon as I got to Port Alberni, within about six months. It stood for low-income folks together. And we were holding uh, gatherings. Uh, several hundred people were coming to these things. And it was Native, non-Native. It was amazing. It was the first movement in Port Alberni ever to unite whites and Natives, uh, mostly low-income people. And what Lyft wanted to do, they want, we wanted to run people for a local city council and take over the land of McMillan Bloedel that was lying idle and turn it over to the local native and, and unemployed white population to create jobs. Now, obviously, that marked us big time uh, for the big money, uh, McMillan Bloedel, who were responsible for my firing eventually over the land deal, um, which we can get into. But um, mm -hmm. Krista not only named the names of these chiefs who were trafficking children at this forum. But soon after I was fired, the Sunday right after I was fired, just taken out of my pulpit, um, these the presbytery guys who got rid of me showed up in my church and were giving the official line about how I had gone crazy and how they had to get rid of me. Yeah. Krista stands up in the congregation and says, quote, you're crucifying Kevin just like you crucified my people. Okay. They grabbed her. She's a little woman. They grabbed her, physically assaulted her, and threw her out of St. Andrew's Church. Next week, she was found dead. Uh, oh of a so-called drug overdose, even though she didn't do drugs. Mark Angus died the pre same previous uh, January. He had been in our group. He had uh, in our. Uh, he got up in church one day and said, "Off-duty RCMP officers were uh, driving homeless people out of town and letting them die." Uh, he was involved in Lyft. So was John Sargent. Both of these guys also found dead. And now here's the thing involving Spencer and and uh, Freed. They knew about their activity, and they had passed on the names of these three people 
to these guys who were connected to to the, the 12 Mile Club, and I've listed all nine of them. Now, I'm not going to say that all nine of the names yet, because mm-hmm. it'll be be- before the common law court, and I don't want to tip off some of these people, you know, since mm-hmm. there'll be a common law court in the new year to look at, that'll be investigating all this stuff officially. But they knew about, uh, Spe- uh, Freed and Spencer knew about the three, and it's not coincidental the way they died. So that's just one of the things that they, I believe, uh, in all honesty, they're implicated in, if only at the level of knowledge and passing on information. Also, of course, we know directly the role they played in firing me illegally from my church, going to my ex-wife, mm-hmm. offering to pay her uh, to, to lead me, which she did, providing mm-hmm. her lawyer, Ron Hunink, with uh, confidential church, church documents. All of that's on record. It was even admitted by their side in divorce court that they, Fried and Spencer had helped them do that. Now, uh, did you know at the time that, that these guys were monitoring you? Or, no. or did you Or did you find out after the fact? After the fact, they boast about it after. Oh, we've been watching you for a long time. You know, they're, Spencer, uh, a very unstable individual, he used to uh, uh, get drunk all the time and call us up in the middle of the night. But re- the night after I got fired, he called me and he said, go ahead and try to sue us, Kevin. A lot of ministers have tried and never won. You had this coming to you anyway. You had this coming to you. That was his kind of statement. And um, and so, like, they, for some reason that I've never been able to work out. They were both had this real antipathy towards me. And I think, you know, mm-hmm. there was a, one anecdote I wanted to share. About two months before I got fired, they were, as I mentioned, assigned to check me out and gather evidence that would be used in my subsequent, you know, quote, defrocking. Um, mm-hmm. I was down in the basement of St. Andrew's Church in our food bank helping a, a Native family, you know, getting food. And I was, and Fried and Spencer both showed up they they stood in the doorway and when they saw me with the native family they froze and the the feeling i got was they were they were afraid they wouldn't go anywhere near these indians and they looked at me in horror almost disgust and then after the natives had left they approached me but to me it kind of summed up where they were at they were afraid of what i was doing and i think it's because they were involved again with these 12 mile club guys and they knew the crimes that that would have come out if, yeah. if I, you know, they knew where it was going to lead if I kept doing my work. So that's more evidence. Because mm. because when I read the document, um, um, like it presupposes that they were were you know eyeballs high in something very very sinister. Yeah. Like yeah. like for Freed, for example, to you know his reaction to you about about the Indians and. Um, Oh, I didn't hating, mention that. Uh, supposedly hating, hating um, the white congregants. You know, like it, it, it's, it was such a, it's such a, a, a very reactive. Well, um, let me say that comment. It's just not a normal comment, right? Well, let me tell you because you're referring to something we haven't mentioned yet. Let me just say to oh, folks. Oh, uh, sorry. Yeah. Um, right after I got uh, hired at St. Andrews in September 1992, I, uh, and people know watching our documentary film Unrepentant that this is the incident that began to wake me up. I got invited to perform a wedding of a native fisherman called Danny Gus and his wife, Clotilda. I'm sitting around there, and he tells me a story. I asked him, how come there aren't any Indians in any of the white churches? And he said, they killed my best friend in the school. He's buried in the hill behind the Alberni United Church School. They all know about it. They don't want us in their church. I called up Foster. I was shocked. I didn't know what to believe. So I called him up. I considered him a friend. I asked him for his advice. And he said, don't listen to the story. The Indians hate us for taking their land, and they'll say anything mm-hmm. about us. Okay? That's so in other words, just and that was the reaction of the whole church leadership. They didn't change their line until they began to get sued after I was fired in February 1996. I was working with the, the first group that sued the United Church. And... Um, then they began to admit stuff when their their bank account was threatened. But before that, the line was just they're making it all up. And he's, you know, he voiced that all the time. Uh, Dad, do you have anything you want to jump in on with? Well, I I hate to, you know, this is a, a tragic conversation. Mm-hmm. And uh, I hate to get humorous about anything. No, but you please do. Say that, you did say that uh, I could sell some books here. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> it's not. It's not totally unrelated. All right. Uh, is it? Is it my turn? Yeah. Go ahead. Go yep. ahead. You go Open ahead. mic. Um, I'll keep it brief. 
but oh. <laughs> uh, Watershed is fictional. It's a novel. Um, it's also true, which is uh, kind of fortunate because the good thing about fiction is you can be truth- truthful, but you can also say anything you want, you know. Anyway. Yep. It's a fictional story about, it's a send-up of B.C.'s bipolar water export industry. And also it's a heartwarming family story, uh, yours and mine, about family love and family strife. Uh, And the two are linked uh, because the very government and church forces that sought to destroy you, to expose their crimes, uh, are the same people who colluded illegally with two other members of our family, to to wit, uh, my my wife emeritus, and my entrepreneurial son Bill. Um, so uh, they they colluded with uh, with uh, Mark and Bill uh, in granting them an exclusive and illegal right to bulk water export, mm-hmm. uh, at the same time excluding any competitors to the detriment, of course, of the public interest. Yeah. Um, both stories, uh, the public one and the uh, personal one, are, to me, uh, sort of a microcosm of the government and church crime that's endemic in Canada today. And particularly in BC, where Vancouver ranks with, uh, check me on this, uh, the top three cities in the world involved in international trafficking of women and children. Yep. Uh-huh. Uh, Vancouver, Bangkok, and I think Copenhagen, or, or is it Brussels? Rotterdam, I think. That was a report in the 90s, but yeah, Bangkok, uh, Rotterdam, Vancouver. Yep. Yeah. So that's that's the story uh, that uh, I tell in, in, in Watershed, and uh, it's well and written. The books I, it's so and well the books written. Are just and, flying off the shelf. <laughs> well, that's that Anna thing we just write, you know. But yeah. Um, I, I, since you mentioned that, I should also mention that in my latest book, At the Mouth of a Cannon, it talks about what you're you're referring to, Dad. What I call the octopus, the three-headed monster of church, state, and corporation that was responsible for causing the genocide, but then doing it to our people as well, including us, <laughs> our own family. So, um, I'm, I'm curious about something. Yeah. So, well, of course. So we, uh, so we uh, know that, that the Vatican claims owner, ownership of all the land on the earth via the British Empire. That's the colony of Britain, the U.S. and Canada is owned by the Vatican. We know that. So what I'm curious about is where in the heck do the Chinese fit in with all of this? Like, like, is it, is it, a, is it, I know evil is evil, but is it a separate faction? Well, according to Trump, um, it, it, it really wasn't the Russians that he could, that were instrumental in the 2016 election. It was those damn Chinese. Well, it's a good yeah. question, Katie, because um, China is the rising power in the world. There's this kind of, uh, you know, or- Orwell described in 1984 three power. Blo- he talked about double think too, but he also talked mm-hmm. about three he power blocks. Is. Yeah, three power blocks in the world: Eurasia, East Asia, Oceania. And sure enough, you've got the U.S., Russia, and China all competing for, you know, world hegemony. And the U.S. is going down. China's going up. Russia's trying to broker, but um, the the thing about China is that they are buying up lots of resources all over Canada. Uh, Trudeau, the nice, withered liberal prime minister, signed a thing called the Foreign Investment Protection Act, FIPA, which people should look up in Section 33. It allows China to station security forces in Canada on Canadian soil to protect their investments. They are definitely involved in the disappearance Mm -hmm. of Aboriginal families. And um, well, they are mm-hmm. they're doing what the British did when they first got, you know, to Canada. And um, well, they have also a military base on the American soil. It's right. it's called China Lake, and it's it's guess why they call it China Lake? Mm-hmm. Like it's um, but but you but they're buying up resources. It's not necessarily that 
that they're 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 buying up land or owning land, or is it? Both. Uh, you know, for example, uh, Trudeau removed all restrictions on Chinese investment, uh, liquid natural natural gas. Uh, Merv Ritchie, the Northern BC journalist, uh, people should go to the archive programs on bbsradio.com/slash Who We Stand, and uh, Merv talks a little bit about that. That's why the Mounties came down on him so hard, and he lost his uh, newspaper because um, he, he began to get into this. How uh, liquid natural gas is basically China owned now in British Columbia, um, and really? the the a lot of the native families stand in the way of that. They've been Get it. The theory is is that uh, Chinese security, uh, off-duty RCMP, are, are part of these death squads that are driving Native families off their land. A lot of these people just go missing. You know, I find that whenever I talk to people in Vancouver, uh, the number of people that have gone missing in the last few, last few years is unbelievable. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, it's more of the same sickness. Yeah. Maybe um, Trump is right. About what? China. Well, be China surprised. is the threat, not Russia. Yeah. Well, the the whole Russia Trump, threat Trump is just propaganda. Really, they they don't. I mean, Trump that's doesn't really believe that, of course. <laughs> well, let me. I I, I yeah. want to just. You mentioned the whole thing about China. I think it's really important because um, mm-hmm. even CSIS director. There was a CSIS director. That's Canadian Security Intelligence Service. They're like the Canadian CIA. They like to pretend they are at least. Um, CSIS. Uh, director, former CSIS director, even said that China was actively subverting the British Columbia government by getting their people into the Ministry of Forests and, and Natural Resources and making sure China gobbled up everything. Uh, that was 15 years ago he said that. Um, but it's directly related to the stuff because, you see, on the Indian reservations, and the, there's a close connection between the churches, the Indian reservations, these corporations, historically. And I came along and I stepped on that big money toes, as Jennifer Wade likes to say, um, yeah. and um, that was that. But so what we're talking about today and Freed and Spencer, it's all a reflection of the octopus and this ongoing crime against all of us. And and we know China is, is obviously involved in, in the child trafficking, right? Big um, time. And as a matter of fact, we also know that the very generals who run the organ trafficking system in China are also connected to some of the liquid natural gas companies in British Columbia. So go figure. I know that in 2003, uh, and this is going to come out in the West Coast Common Law Court proceeding next year, uh, This hopefully in the new year, um, the early reports that came out about the missing women and the murdered Native women that were found, there was the usual two reports, one initial police report and then the report that made it into the public, the RCMP, uh, one of the Mounties, uh, retired Mounties who I worked with, George Brown, a native uh, Mountie who you can see in our film Unrepentant, um, he said that the evidence he found was that the women were missing eyes and hearts and lungs. They were missing organs when organs, they were found. But that was erased. That was not mentioned in the final reports. Um, so, you know, go figure. It, it's, it's more of the stuff. And the more you look at the actual evidence about this, Freed and Spencer, the more you see this, these issues popping up, right? So mm-hmm. I want to, maybe we could talk a little bit more about that, what's in the dossier. If you um, have any before, questions. I, yeah. I just have, uh, I just want to yep. ask you this. The, um, before I forget, the 12 Mile Club, is is that also connected then to the Ninth Circle? Yes, uh, indirectly. You see, it's, it's kind of like... Um, the Ninth Circle has a, a strong Catholic uh, background, but because the papacy ran most of the residential schools, about two-thirds of them, and there was definite cult murders going on within them, the Protestant United and Anglican churches just copied. And so there was a lot of overlap. The Ninth Circle was operating in the residential schools. We know that for a fact. There's even references to the stuff uh, by former priests and others who worked in the schools, that children were being ritually sacrificed. We know about William Coombs' story about the Queen Elizabeth taking those 10 children out of the Camelot School and um, that whole thing. But the the 12-mile club arose, and this is in the dossier, it, it arose specifically out of the West Coast um, missionaries because, you see, the early missionaries, these were isolated Indian villages. They could do whatever they wanted there. They had the... Like, the like how far back? Going back to the uh, when they first showed up, the mid to the late 19th century, first the Catholics, oh then the God. Anglicans and Presbyterians. 
all had um, they they divided up the territories. And in fact, if you took Indian kids from one area, and uh, when you weren't supposed to, it was called poaching. You know, you poached Catholic Indians when you should have left them for the the you know for the priest to deal with. Um, and and so these missionaries were had access to children all the time, and they set up this Twelve Mile Club. It wasn't called that then. It's it took on the name Twelve Mile Club in the 1990s because up until then. Children were being trafficked and killed through the residential schools, through the Indian hospitals, like the Nanaimo Indian Hospital, mm -hmm. uh, the R.W. Large Hospital in Bella Bella. But after the heat came down, after we began our, our investigation, especially after our 1998 tribunal, it shifted into offshore yachts. It left it. Uh, they, 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 we had shone a light on the Vancouver Club and in the residential so, schools so and they hospitals. Had, so they had to move. The, they had to move. They it. moved. They moved on to yachts at that point, and they began to work wow. offshore, and they took the name 12 Mile Club. We know that there was a lawyer, Jack Cram, who tried to sue over this, and he ended up in the psych hospital in Vancouver when he did a uh, trial What do you mean he tried to sue over, over what? What do you mean? He, uh, he was a trial lawyer in Vancouver who um, was defending a native lawyer called Renata Ogier. This was in 1994, just before I got fired. Renata said she had evidence of photographic proof of Supreme Court just, judges in the Vancouver Club diddling young boys. Uh, they came down and heard like a ton of bricks, arrested oh. her. Um, Jack Cram tried to defend her, and he named uh, Judge Essen, uh, Judge McEachern, and others in his court document. He was arrested the same day by sheriffs who only have jurisdiction in the B.C. courts. They grabbed him on the street when he was coming out of a radio what? station. And uh, they got his wife to, to uh, have him help commit it. They go go for the wife, of course, like they did, went to mine. Um <sighs> And he ended up 72 hours in Vancouver General Hospital. Um, and uh, they, during those 72 hours, they ransacked his office, took away all the evidence. Uh, Renaud Ogier went into hiding. Uh, and the whole thing was shut down. And we got this. There was a big defense committee around Jack Cram. They published all this stuff. But again, it's gone down the memory hole and nobody talks about it anymore. So so where where is he now? Do you know? Jack Cram, last I heard, was living in Princeton, British Columbia, on a farm. And I tried to meet with him. He wouldn't talk. He had worked out a deal yeah. where, you know, for his silence, yeah. he's still alive. But, you know, it's, yeah. it's the octopus. <laughs> it's all part of the same beast. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, for any, sure. Dad, any comments? or? Well, uh, when we're talking about uh, generally... International child trafficking. Yeah, there's a thing that's, I, I think, uh, a certain danger that's uh, is taking place um, in the popular media, uh, which serves like a red herring or a popular diversion to mm -hmm. the public, and it tends to inoculate the public from the real international trafficking that, that's yep. going on. Uh, the, the popular, at least down here in Florida, uh, almost every day there's talk about uh, local cases of child abuse, you know, that convenient uh, mm. Mm. Uh, Vatican expression. You mean child rape. Meaning rape, sodomy, and yeah, murder. Yeah, child rape. Uh, yeah. Like a politician in Georgia or a cleric in South Dakota or something uh, yeah. And it tends to turn off the board public because they've heard all this before. Yeah. Uh, and, and of course, the media never mentions the, the, the real criminals, such as a late member of the U.S. Supreme Court mm -hmm. or a top executive in one of the largest grain companies in Minneapolis, Cargill. or more to the point, a billionaire supporter of Hillary Clinton in the last mm -hmm. election. Sure. All of them are involved yeah. in the real international child trafficking. Yeah, absolutely. And because of the ongoing, you know, uh, lengthening out of talk on the subject of church abuse, um, which, which the government and the church proliferate with things like the like Harper's apology and so on. The Canadian public uh, reacts in the same bored fashion. You know, oh, that historical stuff. We're tired of hearing about it. Mm -hmm. Now, here's something that just happened last night, and I kid you not, on MSNBC, which is 
one of the leading national television networks down here. A popular commentator, in fact, he's one of the stars of, of, of the network, who loves to brag about his old boy Catholic school upbringing. Last night, he cheered over the news that the Pope had asked for the resignation of a Pennsylvania bishop. And I said, what? Just what one? Is this? And, and he <laughs> yeah. said, the church, this is a direct quote, my church, said Lawrence, for that's his first name, is gradually dealing with this problem, but at the expense, unfortunately, of a few otherwise good people Right. <laughs> By implication, the Pennsylvania bishop, who are taking the fall. Yeah. Okay. Well, there, there's the thing right there, Don. I need, I need to remind listeners or new listeners, yeah. including any lawyers listening in, that um, the standing policy in the Catholic Church of crimen solicitanus means they can do nothing but cover it up. And it's not about one guard in a death camp. It's about the whole system operating where, you know, it, it, the the present Pope has endorsed Crimin. He said, yes, you're to cover it up and not tell the police and protect these people. <laughs> so it, it, it's ludicrous to talk about that. And the strategy of mm -hmm. targeting, talking about individuals. Now, that doesn't mean that individuals aren't guilty, um, but they're operating under instructions coming from the very top and the big yeah. money behind them, right? Well, of course. Uh, what, what the commentator didn't say is that humble Frank has, has not renounced and the uh, criminal criminal is still the church doctrine for concealing child rape. Yeah, but they don't mention it. They know no media has ever mentioned the existence of that document. No. Even though it was leaked to the London Observer ten years ago and is published for folks listening, murderbydecree dot com. Just go to the appendices and read the read the policy. It's quite a long document. Yeah. I've I've I pulled it up just uh you know a few days ago. It, it, it's quite a, a detailed, long document. Now, I, this person keeps bugging me. Read out the charges. Okay. <laughs> this will be coming out. Um, in addition, I'm going to read from the dossier. In addition to their general conviction, according to the ICLCJ verdict, the defendants, Fried and Spencer, are directly and personally implicated in the following specific criminal offenses and are so charged. First, obstructing justice and destroying evidence and forensic remains pertaining to the death of children at the United Church Alberni and a house at Indian Residential Schools. Two, unlawfully and with a malice of forethought destroying the work, public reputation, employability, good name, and family of Reverend Kevin Annett and expelling him from his law, job and livelihood as minister of St. Andrew's United Church without cause, notice, or due process. Three, conducting a deliberate and malicious misinformation and character assassination campaign against Kevin to facilitate his professional and personal ruination and to conceal her own criminal acts. Four, secretly conspiring with Kevin and his ex-wife Anne McNamee and her father James McNamee to strip Kevin of his children and employability and to destroy his public reputation and good name. Five, engaging in a criminal conspiracy with top officials of the United Church of Canada, the government of British Columbia, the RCMP, Macmillan, Bloedel, and Weyerhaeuser corporations to secretly sell off appropriate and exploit the lands of the traditional Hausa nation, and to conceal the rape, torture, and murder of ch uh, children at the Bernie and Hausa residential schools. Six, aiding and abetting the continued trafficking, rape, and murder of West Coast children by a network of United Church clergymen associated with a child sacrificial cult known as the 12 Mile Club, and then concealing that crime. And finally, Point seven, aiding and abetting the murder of Port Alberni residents Krista Lynn, Mark Angus, and John, John Sargent between the years 1994 and 2000. Those are the charges, and I publicly stand by all of those charges and will defend them with hard evidence. How are these two tied to the three missing parishioners? Well, like I mentioned, if you've, already, if you've already covered it, sorry, I, I'm the, no. Well, they can they monitored people in my congregation, they identified those three. They That was admitted later in my defrocking oh. trial that they had provided information on people in my congregation to higher-ups in the church who we've identified as members of the 12 Mile Club. And these people kill all the time to cover up the crimes. 
And why did they all die in the same manner? None of them used drugs. The official coroner's report is they were all drug overdoses. That's absurd. And, I knew and, all of them. They didn't do drugs. And, and, and around the same time. They also died around the same time, Kevin? They died. Uh, Mark and Krista died in 1994. John Sargent went off the radar for a while, but we started up our work in 1999 and 2000. That's when the tribunal had met. We were going to start working with people on the west coast of Vancouver Island again. There were two other natives, key witnesses, who died at the same time as John, but they all died in January 2000, all three of them. Uh, not Chris and, and they were in 94, but by three I meant John Sargent and these two, uh, Willie Sport and um, the the witness mm-hmm. to the murder of Archie Frank, um, mm-hmm. Archie Gray, uh, uh, Albert Gray, uh, these two uh, house elders. They all died in January 2000, just like John did. So, again, you know, it's it's not coincidental. All of these things, right? No, of course not. And was there ever um, autopsies done? Nope, not as far as I know. They never. You see, when when you like it's with when William Coombs died, you request the information. They take four or five months to get back to you, and they give you a a, de- a death certificate that that only has very cursory yeah. information, and they refuse to provide anything else. So. Has the fam has their family any of the three families ever um, no come to you or spoken to you? No, as a matter of fact, I made a point of tr- they were climbed yeah, up. It's like what you always read uh, experience yeah. with these folks. Yeah. Now we we're uh, we only have four minutes left. We once again um, at the end of the hour, but we can definitely carry this on again next week with more stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dad, do you have any final words? Uh, two actually. I don't know whether I have enough time. Uh, one thing I've learned in the last few days, and uh, the Democrats have learned down here, is there's a danger in fact-checking, right? And uh, you may be able to borrow this idea. The ten, uh, fact-checking of somebody who's lying his head off tends to benefit the person who is being fact-checked. Mm-hmm. Uh, for instance, uh, the Democrats... Uh, running for this midterm election are, are learning this. Fact-checking Trump, who lies in every sentence practically, turns off people because they know all that already, and it just gives him more exposure. <laughs> and uh, then I had a quote from Paul Simon I wanted to... Well, why don't we do it next week? We can carry this on. Just save that, Dad, because we can definitely carry this on next week. Katie, any final words? Um, yeah. I want to say that, you know, to maintain the dark secret, the light light must uh, extinguish, um, like, people like you, Kevin. The light has to be extinguished at any cost. And this is why, obviously, I mean, you're constantly being attacked. But, you know, and and it's a very heavy, a very serious, um, these are very serious crimes that are going on, and they're ongoing. But I just want to say that, that on the, uh, the the pendulum is swinging in the other direction. Absolutely, um, the rats are jump, jumping ship. Um, and you know, for example, which what isn't been actually maybe it has been even in the corporate media. I believe that the Peter Diglesh. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing his last name Diglish, correctly. Yep. Mm-hmm. He um, used to work for the UN, and he's been found, he's he's involved in child trafficking and uh, a number of months ago uh One minute. the US sent out 47,000 US troops all over the world to start arresting people who are involved in crimes very serious crimes against humanity and he's one of them they found him and I believe it's Nepal and uh they found three children uh in his home in cages um, you're not seeing it a whole lot, these arrests going on all over the world, uh, sealed indictments, unsealed indictments. It's sure. not being reported. So I, I just want to put that out there to the listeners that that good things are happening. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. yeah definitely. And sorry I had to catch you off. We're almost out of That's time, okay. and I just wanted to be able to announce to people the website's murderbydecree.com. A lot of the evidence you've heard today, or a big important part of it is on there, murderbydecree.com itccs.org, write to us, thecommonland at gmail.com. And next week, I'll talk to you about any reaction we get 
from Durpak, what the hell their names are? Dur- Lewis Spencer at Durpak, White, and Spencer, or I call them Dirtpak, White Boys, and Spenfree um, in go. Vancouver. If you want to call that law firm and complain what they're doing, 604-736-9791, 736-9791 in Vancouver. Tell Lewis Spencer to bugger off and stop harassing truth tellers and obstructing justice. It's been an honor, uh, Katie and Dad, uh, Bill Annett, with me, Kevin Annett, Eagle Strong Voice here. Until next week, folks, stay strong, stay clear. We'll be back. Tune in again. Thank you all. Bye.